This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, everybody. Carm Capriato, Remarkable Results Radio, and another Town Hall Academy. I think this is week 318. Can you believe? You know, our legacy is always to continue to bring you no-nonsense content you can rely on to enhance your path to remarkable results and to advance the aftermarket. We are going to talk about the future shops sooner than you think. Guys, I don't know about you, but it seems like years go by so fast. I call it, it's a flash memory, right? Stop. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Us old guys don't like to talk about time flying fast. I so understand. I really do. I'm going to introduce my panel right now. Jake Sorensen's with a shop manager, McNeil's Auto Supply, Sandy, Utah. Hey, Jake. Hey, Carm. How are you? I'm great. The 2019 Napa ASE Technician of the Year, the 2019 Ratchet and Wrench All-Star Technician of the Year, ASE Master Technician, and all-around nice guy. Uh, well, some might say. And, uh, and he helped to create and design the Napa Apprentice Program. Nice to have you, man. Good to be here. Chris Chesney's here, VP of Training and Organizational Development from Repairify. Now, Chris has held every position from tire buster to master technician, from service advisor to shop owner, and he's only 42. He has been training technicians and shop owners for 30 years. Chris started his training business, DTEC, in Denver in 94, director of training formerly for CarQuest Technical Institute, and... Uh, you still continue to hold board slots at ASC and NASDAQ? I keep adding to the collection, so stop me anytime. Go ahead, tell me. Well, I'm still on the NASDAQ board, still sit there. Christian Brothers, uh, there'll be a couple of announcements coming up here in the next few weeks, so I'll stop there. Nice. Good for you. Good for you. Derek Kaufman is here, managing partner, Schwartz Advisors, and president of C3 Network. Over 40 years in the transportation industry, holding positions from president, CEO, and senior Vice President, always looking ahead and researching our automotive future. I rely on that guy to set me straight as to what tomorrow looks like because, and I don't know how you do it, man, but you have brought some incredible talking points. I just can't wait to get to it. I just can't wait. It's always, always good to be with you, Carm. Yeah. Hey, let's give a high five to our great partners. Are you sick of switching to email to send a status update? Really, what century are we in? Well, stop wasting time by working in multiple applications when Shopware lets you do it right inside the repair order. Talk to my great friends at GetShopware.com. And when you turn to Delphi Technologies for your chassis needs, quality is always, always at the forefront. Material and dimensional enhancements as well as 700 hours worth of salt spray testing goes into each and every chassis part produced. Visit Delphi aftermarket.com to see over 8,000 chassis parts that Delphi has in stock for you. Okay, here's my thinking, guys. Uh, we've got uh, three great views of the future and how we need to embrace it. You've all hit home runs, as I said, with your perspectives. What will the speed of change be? I'm kind of curious about that. Will we be prepared for it when it hits us upside the head? Being independent business people, again, we often react to the future based on our paradigm, our goals, our attitude, and our view of challenges we want to take on because we're independent and we know better. Now, here's what I want to cover. First, run a great business. All the fundamentals done right, and you can accept the future confidently. What training will we need? Will, where will the talent come from? Will AI impact our industry? How will we help 
Our customers understand the technology built into their vehicle. I think that's important. Let us be your Google. Let us teach you what this vehicle does. Uh, will new technology attract talent to come to work for our industry? Is ever someday someone going to look at us as the techie people? Will diagnostics overtake, remove, and replace? Will you position your shop as a technology advanced repair center, a technology advanced repair center? Instead of specialty like Euro shops, will we have specialty technicians? And I think we're going to cover a lot of that. Uh, let's start with my friend Jake. Jake, you still believe we have to do it the old-fashioned way by reading? I still see everyday technicians doing a job that maybe is similar to something they've done in the past. Uh, it's an R&R procedure they think is pretty straightforward. And we're running into some sort of problem because there's something specific that has to be done on that vehicle that's different than it was in the past. So when we talk about the shop of tomorrow. I think uh, there's tomorrow, there's a month out, you know, there's five years out, 10 years out, and all that technology is a little different. But the one that's hitting us right now and is only going to continue to be a bigger issue is looking up service information, reading, learning how you're supposed to do the job properly and getting ahead of it. You know, I've seen a lot lately where we're recommending replacing a part, job gets done, and then the technician's coming up to the service advisor and saying, oh, that has to be programmed or coded or something. And it's right in the service information. You know, had we read through it, we could have on the, the front end of educated the customer, sold that job and, and done it the right way. But we can't just throw parts like we used to. Did you hear what he said? Had we read through it? <laughs> yeah, no the, joke. The guys here get sick of hearing it from me when I tell them, you know, I wouldn't do anything on a car, including an alignment, without reading service information. I mean, you just can't anymore on today's cars. So, Carm, I've been known as the RTMF, RTFM guy for years. And there's something about read the manual thing in that acronym. What was the and as I Something. Uh, I'm too old to remember how to say it. But I have a new idea. We've got all this new technology that is designed to serve up service information when you need it. CYTK is a platform that's coming. There's many others. But I have a vision that I'm going to offer this up. Maybe you'll do a special uh, session or podcast on this where I'm going to get on stage and I'm going to invite about seven or eight technicians to come on stage with me. And I'm going to have them sit in front of me in a semicircle and I'm going to read service information to them because that's what they're asking for. They want to know what to do next, but they don't want to invest the time that it takes to do it. Now, I'm not saying every tech I'm just saying that that's a real problem, and it's not necessarily that they don't want to. They don't know how, and it's not that they don't know how to read. They don't know how to read technical information, or they don't have technical reading skills, and technical reading skills are much different than reading the, your newspaper or your news feed every morning on your phone or reading a book or a novel, because those are uh, you're reading information that you don't know about. With technical information, you're trying to answer questions. And so you're looking for the answers to the question in service information. And it's a different technique and skill that I learned when I was in eighth grade by a, a wonderful woman. And you may have seen her picture at Transformers uh, Conference in Cancun in December, a young lady by the name of Evelyn Wood. Evelyn Wood Speed Reading and Learning Course. It still exists. People poo-poo it. Changed my life. It taught me how to read with purpose. We've got to, as educators, 
help the industry learn how to read service information with the goal of finding the answers to the questions that they have about the problem they're trying to solve. Karma, I'm, I'm listening to uh, Jake and Chris here, and what's occurring to me is they're talking about the fundamentals, just like a sports team. You can have the big picture of the game. You can have all kinds of strategy and things uh, going for you. But if you don't have fundamentals of how to handle the ball or whatever it is, things don't work out well. I think that this makes a lot of sense. I also think that we're kind of, though, on a cusp of maybe an explosion of information that's coming our way. And uh, I think that it will change the way we do service faster, I think, than we think it will. Uh, and what I'm talking about here is just the, the quantum or the exponential increases in computing power uh, that are about to come into uh, all industries, uh, actually. I think we're about to see what I call Nevin's Law. We always had Moore's Law, uh, where computing power changes or grows every two years. It doubles every two years. But now what Nevin's Law says is with exponential growth, it looks like nothing's happening, then nothing is happening, and then, oops, you're in a different world. And I think what's going to happen in the repair shop is some of this technology within the next three years is going to hit us, and we're going to say, oops, we're in a different world now. It won't change the fundamentals. It won't change what Chris is talking about in just reading the manual. I don't think it changes any of that. But I think it brings a new set of tools that will kind of radically change the way we think about diagnostics in a three to five year period. Envision in your mind an individual standing in an incredible technology windstorm, the hairs blown back, the cheeks are flushed away, and you just missed it all. <laughs> it just went whoosh. If you didn't have Chris, your logic, your reading skills, your absorption stuff, your big tent up, it was going to go by you. Yeah, I think Derek speaks to rapid change or change that happens so suddenly that we don't recognize it, don't even see it go by. Um, the amount of data that's being accumulated in the industry today is massive. Give you a personal number with our organization. Uh, last year, we captured well over a trillion data points that we are aggregating with our intelligence division that will provide insights to the industry along those lines that Derek talked about, where you take all those experiences of vehicles that we have scanned and provided service information or direction to and seen the results of those repairs at the end of the, of the cycle and now we can put those insights together. And when that year make model trim, that VIN combination with a DTC or a symptom comes up again, and we have massive examples of that happening in the past, we can say, hey, Jake, take a look at this first. You still need to do your tests. You still need to validate that what we're seeing in the data is, in fact, true on this vehicle. But that beats the heck out of well, I've got four tests to run and I'm going to start here because I like it because it's easy and I'm going to run those four tests and the answer is going to be down here. It's just a matter of changing the way we approach solving problems using the information that's readily available to us. And many times we don't have to read much to get that insight and put it into action. I don't know about you guys, but I think I just heard AI speak. Oh yeah, absolutely. AI is in everything. If you don't think it is, it's in everything. 
machine learning, AI. Now, what is AI? Give me the four of us. If somebody asked the four of us what artificial intelligence was and what machine learning was, we'd probably end up with four definitions. It's kind of like asking what telematics is. What's telematics? Telematics is such a big bucket. AI is a huge bucket. But essentially, it's just taking massive amounts of data that we can now mine for trends and insights that give us a head start in solving a problem. And in the automotive industry, that's everything. Years ago, I really got very close to computer programming on the business side, and I learned a word called indexing, Chris. And I think you just described that to me, okay? Fortran and COBOL are kind of an old programming <laughs> language there, Carm, so just saying. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, just saying. <laughs> Your point is you got all these data points out there, and the beauty of AI, I guess, and machine learning is how do we put that in a place that we can get it out in some kind of semblance of order that's going to help the user who's asking for it make sense? Exactly. It's got to be in context with the fight you're fighting right now. So Jake's not going to sit down and read service information on something that he's thinking about working on. I used to do that. That's how I trained myself in this industry was reading service information every night just in case. I used the just-in-case training model. Today, you don't have time to do just-in-case. You don't have capacity to hold that information in your, in your memory. You have to know how to research that the information to solve the problem that you have in front of you right now. We just don't have the capacity to do it any quicker. Derek mentioned processing power and computer power, just the ability of big computer data systems to process that massive amount of data in a very short period of time to serve that information up is really where the the rich information uh, is going to come from in the near future. I think the key is the machine learning part of this thing is that if you have tens of thousands of reports of uh, work orders uh, that have gone through your shops and uh, or millions and the AI system can learn, it can then come in and shortcut that diagnostic to say in such and such a percentage of cases, this, this diagnostic and this step process or fault tree worked best in this situation. You know, we see people like uh, Preddy working with Mitchell One now. Preddy is a AI company that's doing English language questions that are then going into the data and sorting out. So you can basically query a Mitchell One service database just by asking it questions uh, over the Pretty AI. It's kind of right around the corner. I don't know quite how shops will, you know, get a hold of it. I think, you know, there's a physical nature here about how do shops adopt this and how do they get it into their shop management systems? I think it's a three-year process to make it happen. Hey, stop guessing and get working on the next car or the opportunity to buy a second shop. Now, once you can see through the fog of numbers coming at you all day, you use less brain power to make better decisions. Start with reading the gauges on every bay and every tech with Shopware's Capacity Dashboard. Now, it makes it easy to see where you can squeeze in one more repair. Then get an overview of every business metric in your shop. Build your reports your way so the numbers that drive you jump out at you whenever you need them. Even if you add more shops to your operation, all the numbers end up consolidated by location or any way you want to slice and dice them. You're in control every step of the way, customizing as you go. Get a clear view. Get more profits. Get Shopware.com.
As the trusted aftermarket brand for over 100 years, Delphi Technologies is by your side for every step of the repair process. The Delphi journey doesn't stop once the parts are ordered. Wherever your journey takes you, our quality parts gives you ease of mind when getting your customer's vehicle back on the road. Technicians know and trust Delphi as a quality brand. Each product undergoes rigorous testing to not only meet OE standards, but also enhance it in each opportunity. From 700 hours of spray testing on chassis components to fuel pumps tested for reliability up to 150,000 miles. And safety and reliability is paramount to help vehicles drive cleaner, better, and further throughout their lives. Delphi is also committed in developing products and services to prepare technicians for the future. Take advantage of how-to videos on YouTube, technician-led trainings, and our technical support line, and more. Turn to the aftermarket parts supplier with over 100 years of OEM trust and quality. Learn more about Delphi. Visit DelphiAftermarket.com. Jake, most technicians are viewed as masters of everything. And I'm not necessarily sure that that's going to be the future. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, some shops or some dealerships maybe do a better job of trying to specialize technicians into one area. But as a whole, we kind of expect every tech to be the every tech. You know, they're supposed to diagnose it when it comes through the door, do the inspection, and then do every repair that's sold on that RO. That's a lot for anyone to be really good at, but also to enjoy. What I've seen with, people that I've worked with in the past and what we're trying to do now at our shop is that there's a lot of guys that really like to diagnose cars and are good at it and will continue to learn and get better at that, but they're not the fastest, you know, R&R guys. And most of them don't actually even enjoy that part of the job. And then we also have guys that are really fast. They do good quality of work. They enjoy replacing parts and getting cars in and out. But when you give them a diag, they are just sick of it. They don't want anything to do with it. And so in the past, we'd give the fast R&R guy a diagnostic. And if it took him three hours, you know, and he lost efficiency, it was, well, get better next time, you know. And then we can't figure out why we have no technicians in our industry or something. What we're trying to work on here and what's been working for us lately is we've hired a full-time diagnostic technician. That's all he does. You know, he might put in a part here and there, but 99% of the cars coming through his bay, he does an inspection on them. He determines what the problem is that the customer's complaining about. He writes it up for the parts that's needed and everything. And then it goes to our full-time R&R technician. And all he does is pull those cars in, do the repairs. There is some overlap with, you know, maybe some QC. The guy that diagnosed it might say, hey, I want to drive that one when it's done just to make sure that something was handled appropriately or whatever. They kind of work together on some of that. But what we found is that both of them are happy with what they do. Combined, we have better efficiency than what we were getting out of two guys trying to do everything. So I don't know that we are at a point yet where we can do only that and have only those two classifications of technicians. And obviously, shop size varies uh, and changes the dynamics for doing that. But so far, we've had a lot of luck. And that's where my push is going to be going forward is to do more of that. Carm, one of the things I think about all the time is kind of the breadth of the types of vehicles a shop sees now. So there's 25 million vehicles that are over 25 years old in the VIO. And then you have the new ADOS cars coming in, and now you have EV cars coming in. Man, the challenge to a shop to handle just that breadth of, you know, that technology range 
is really something. And I think it actually gets even more challenging because I, I believe that if you take a look at the driving population, the age of the driving population and the number of people 65 and above is actually going up. I think more people are going to be holding on to internal combustion engine cars for longer than they normally would because some of the older folks don't are not yet ready uh, you know to go into EVs so this is just going to broaden the number of cars that shops are seeing to tag into that i think we're touching on two things one is kind of the timing of when all of this technology scales and we have to modify our business model to meet that technology EVs aren't anywhere close to scaling i don't anticipate that they'll scale for probably another now we're 23 now, probably another 17 years at the very least. And when I talk to scale, I'm, I throw the, I use terms here that you can look up, go Google this, the diffusion of innovation curve where any new technology takes time to adopt. And it's the early adopters and the geeks that that first half a third that adopts and the last laggards or the last half a third that adopt. It's that the middle two thirds that adopt and ultimately get us to a scale of about 17% of the vehicles in operation being these new technologies. That's going to take a while. To Derek's point, nobody's given up their ICE vehicle anytime soon. And even Mopar's adding a Hemi sound system to their EV chargers. <laughs> so that's going to drive more interest <laughs> in ICE vehicles anyhow. But at the end of the day, Nothing's going to happen quickly. And then all of a sudden, I'm going to be dead or sitting on a beach somewhere. And Jake's going to go, holy crap, when did that happen? And all of a sudden, it's going to happen quickly. And so when we back up and we talk about what Jake presented and the way they're approaching a diagnostic expert and an R&R expert, I think the thing that we've got to prepare ourselves for in the meantime, as EV technology scales and comes to scale, is we are faced today with technicians that have to access more information than ever, are expected to have the skill set to work on everything, to his point around what a master technician is. What the heck is that? Have you ever seen a purple squirrel? That's a master technician. They don't exist. They're a myth. It used to be that existed and somebody could have the knowledge to work on anything and everything. They're rare. So today we need to understand this much information to be that purple squirrel when in fact it's we have no chance of ever getting there. So we have to narrow our focus and specialize in certain competencies and skills or systems so that that group of technicians can diagnose, the, the replacers or repairers can R&R, and everything gets fixed and the customer's happy. But it's going to take time to get there. And we cannot wait until that wind goes by and we all sit around going, what the heck was that? And pretty soon George Jetson stops by and hops out of his bubble car. And here we are. God, I want one of those. Hey, is that Hemi radio going to run on gas? No, I got to see a presentation <laughs> on it at the MAX conference. It's awesome. 800 plus horsepower. Been inspired by this most recent discussion and, you know, I'm always a note taker and coming up with ideas. There will be training. Stop me if I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. There will be training in the future, not to go into a, a, a dyad class on waveforms or anything, but how to ask AI questions. Don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So that you can accomplish your goals as quick as possible because you, you got to ask the right questions. 
that has the potential of making a lot of young people way more comfortable about coming into our business. I just think that it's daunting because we kind of drop trades in high schools and, you know, we don't have shop class anymore. We don't have auto repair anymore. So, you know, where do you go for that uh, education? How do you get comfortable, enter a shop and say, I want a job? You know, we all have our own programs of how, you know, to move in and start a tech, be a C tech, be a B tech, be an A tech. But I think that these new tools uh, like augmented reality and things are going to give a, a comfort level to kids coming into this industry saying, okay, I can handle things because I've got something that's going to support me here and, you know, show me the way to do this. So I think that's all good for the industry. And it'll be fun for them. They're built that way already. You know who I think is going to influence as much as anybody? I think it influences young women Hmm. to enter our industry. And I think you're seeing that. I think those young ladies that have made choices to enter our industry see those opportunities quicker than the young men. I will tell you that this doesn't happen quickly. And the reason it doesn't happen is because, well, I can ask every shop owner that's on watching this to look in the mirror tomorrow morning and ask yourself, am I telling as many people as I can see and find, especially young people in the schools around me, about the opportunities that are available in this industry? And if I'm not, I'm the problem. Before we can draw anybody into our industry in mass at the scale we need to draw them in for the future. One, we got to pay them, damn it. Two, we got to act like a tech industry, not like a piecework industry where we hire out help when we need it and expect them to buy the technology and we just make money on their backs. I'm speaking to the choir, but the industry as a whole needs to stand up and shift their mindset towards being a technology company, a technology industry with massive, cool technology that you're not only working on, but that you're using to work on those vehicles and put that in front of every young person you can because the cool stuff will win every time, to Derek's point. So I think we need to keep that in mind. I think we need to watch out for the the young ladies because I think they're kicking tail right now uh, in this industry. So you guys need to step it up. Thank you for the slap upside the head, Chris. Anytime. You are so, so right on if, in everything that you said. This is what we do here. We talk about this kinds of stuff so that we can move people into the level of profitability so that they can pay for talent. They can't have the right equipment. They can market uh, for new talent and customers. Speaking of moving into the future, Jake, are you guys uh, really promoting the hell out of EVs at the McNeil's? Yeah, we've made a big move that way. Attended a whole lot of training. We've been upping equipment. We've been trying to get more through the door. And, you know, we're going to keep doing that. But I think that was one of my points I wanted to make is that when we talk about the shop of the future, there's obviously these different stages. And to kind of echo what Chris was saying earlier, EVs aren't something that most shops are going to have a whole lot coming into their bays in the next couple of years. You know, I think there's kind of been a scare tactic out there that you're going to have to learn these things right now and your bays are going to be full of them. But, you know, we're still a very small number of the cars being built today. I mean, in 2022 is 18% of the new cars sold. Most of us in the independent world are working on cars roughly 10 years old. So 10 years from now, that's 18%. It's a very small number and it's going to be a while. You know, I've said that if I was 10 years away from retirement, which I've got a lot longer to go than that, uh, I wouldn't even think about 
working on EVs or looking into them, you know, and I'm sure there's some shop owners out there probably upset to hear me say that, but I think that it's a technology that's a lot further out than people want to believe. Let me add a number that kind of justifies what Jake mentioned, and that is if the projections by industry and the administration come true in the way that new vehicle sales scale in the EV world, and I'm talking about not only BEVs, but plug-in hybrids, anything that's electrified. By 2030, which is kind of the target date that they first laid out there, now they're hedging their bet and they're moving the goalposts a little bit. But by 2030, if, they're, if their projections are correct on sales, the population of vehicles in operation, of which there'll be over 300 million in operation in the U.S., only 8% will be electrified. So yep. that's we, seven years from now. I, I agree with you, Chris. We actually run a forecast at Schwartz Advisors. And uh, so everybody's talking about 50% of new car sales in 2030. Uh, we're at uh, a little under 25%. We just don't think it's physically possible for the industry to come up this fast. We're at 0.9% of the VIO right now being BEVs, a little under 3 million of them. And uh, we have uh, about 7.3% in 2030 in our forecast. Yeah. So you're right on. But we get all the way out to 2050 and we still have the market at 50-50, essentially 50-50 BEV and, and ICE. So the ICE has a has a, a long run. It's vehicle ownership types and maybe the industry going a little bit more fleet management in the future. You know, some of these things with shared vehicles and subscription vehicles, that's another dynamic that shops need to, you know, dial into their plans in the future. So there's this is playing maybe not 3D chess, maybe it's 5D chess. Yeah, I think we need to hedge our bet a little bit on the technology. I tend to think that we're living in an age similar to VHS and Betamax. Now, Jake won't remember those days, but Derek and Carmen, I remember those days. I bought the beta. I was all in on beta. (laughs) All in on beta. And so everybody's all in on EV. And hydrogen's still there in a couple different flavors. But it's interesting to listen to the OEMs talk today. And if you listen to those, not at the very top that are the media experts that are trying to kowtow to the administration, so leave them alone. I listened to a Mercedes presentation this morning, and they will be 100% of their models will have an EV option by 2030. Now, I heard that clearly, an EV option. And his justification was they're hedging their bet depending on any new administration that may come in, the acceptability by the motorist in buying those platforms. So most of those platforms are both have the option to be ICE powered or EV powered totally. So they can shift at a moment's notice and put a different drivetrain in them so that they can sell the car. I would kind of tag on to that with, uh, and by the way, I remember my dad complaining that he bought a beta <laughs> machine, okay? But, um, you know, we don't know what that technology is going to be, what the accepted technology is. And right now, you know, all bets are on it being electric, but, you know, you mentioned hydrogen and obviously one of the big, holdups right now is the infrastructure. You know, people can't drive around and and fill up on hydrogen at very many locations. But, you know, we don't know if somebody's going to figure out a better method to produce hydrogen or if the oil companies are going to figure out a way to make a better profit on hydrogen. And if something like that happens or whatever that technology might be, 
this could take a complete 180 and electric cars won't be the option, you know, but we just, we have no clue right now what that's going to be. He just said the word disruptor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jake, you, you bring it right back to the exponential growth of computing power. It affects everything. It's going to affect some other solution that we haven't seen yet on what powers a car in the future. It just will. We're all in on BEVs right now, but uh, you know, there's other solutions, uh, other solutions out there. A lot of things being worked. Is it going to be easy to repair the ICE engine with all of this discussion we've had today? Sure. I'll give you my tagline that I always use nowadays. Man designed these cars. Man will break these cars. Man will fix these cars. We've figured out if man can design and build these vehicles, these technologies, we'll fix them. Somebody fixes the rockets. Elon's got people that, that on staff that fix both battery electric vehicles and spaceships and my internet, which I'm just hopeful hangs in there until the end of this recording. It's just technology. It's not magic. It's not something that just happens out of thin air. But we on the repair side, on the traditional repair side, need to be getting ourselves ready or somebody else, some other segment of another service industry may see an opportunity to stick their foot in our world and beat us to the punch. That's been talked about many times uh, when uh, OBD first came around in the mid-90s. That was discussed that the telephone repairman is going to take the technician's job because they understand data networks better than the technician. Well, what are we dealing with today? I think we've got to watch out for that and recruit from those areas uh, for our own uh, businesses. But we need to just get our team ready and our business ready. Guys, I got to ask a tough question here right at the end. How do we market our business do we put up the shingle that says we do hybrids, BEVs? Are we a new technology style type company so that we can find the young talent? Any ideas on that? I think it's pretty important to you know walk through your front doors and look at your shop from somebody else's perspective that's never been in before. We talk about trying to target the right people and, and the technicians that can do well here. But you know, a lot of shops still aren't doing a great job at presenting themselves as a techie type place or somewhere that uh, people that are interested in that type of work are going to want to go and be. So I think we have to do a better job of our presentation there. And then, you know, as far as the, the BEVs and the hybrids and things like that, I think right now it's still kind of a niche market and, you know, we're attacking that and trying to get it, but I don't think every shop can, you know, you'd saturate a market pretty easily with what's out there. But uh, I think as far as attracting the right technicians, we all as an industry have to do a better job of presenting ourselves as that type of place that they want to work. I love that idea, Carm, of managing perception, right? So what does your shop look like? Does it look like a high-tech place? If somebody you know shows up for a, a job, that first three seconds or five seconds of looking at the bay tells you everything. And uh, I, I just think that this industry does actually a fairly good job in some respects of this, but it has a ways to go of, of as I say, managing perception that we are a high-tech industry uh, with a lot of high-tech solutions coming towards. I think, Carm, that the uh, marketing side of things is going to change significantly, and it's changing already. The, the most progressive shops out there don't fix cars. They manage people's time. Time is the one thing that we don't make any more of. We, we can't 
do anything other than manage it well. And so shops that are providing convenient services for those technology devices that they have are the ones that are going to win. So if you consider this thing that you have in your pocket that everybody walks around with, when your iPhone goes down, who do you call? I mean, do you go to the mall and go to the the Apple store? That's like getting in line at, at the post office or the DMV. So you get online, you chat. If it's out of warranty, you take it, you break, I fix down the street. If you need a screen replaced, there'll be niche ways of marketing to the consumer that has that technology. And because it's technology, the consumer will look at servicing it differently than they look at taking their Chevy in for an oil change. So we need to think outside of our normal marketing towards preventive maintenance and that sort of thing and think more towards the convenience to the customer of the technology that they're depending on, whether it's their phone or their car or whatever. That was so profound. Manage technology devices. And so much of this discussion talked about how we're going to get young talent in there. Well, because come on, work for our place because we repair technology devices. Well, uh, I thought your repair shop for cars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chris, I think you nailed it. You know, you break the screen on, on the phone and you right away look for a place that can fix my cell phone. It has a name. It has a name. It's called cell phone. My car has a name. It's called SUV, whatever it is, but it's a technology device. And that could be, if you will, the greatest summary of this discussion on Future Shop is that we're really repairing technology devices. And I think a lot of it's going to be taken care of over the air, remotely. I mean, that's where I'm at right now. We're doing remote services. And so the ability to repair or service or program or configure or update those technologies remotely is exactly what the consumer is going to look for because they're trying to manage the few extra seconds that they have in that 24-hour day that they haven't already used up. Can you imagine the ads looking for technicians? Come on over to our place because we repair four-wheel technology devices. And if you want to play in that sandbox, this is the place to come. And again, it goes back to that whole perception thing that our customers need to help lead the way and understand what it is that we do so that when they're sitting down at the Thanksgiving dinner, speaking about where you're going to go to college, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? And they says, I want to work in the tech field. Okay. You can go to McNeil's and work or Google. Carm, remember that the one thing that quantum computing does and AI does going forward is it brings the trades up to the place you want to be to earn a good living in the future because it's going to displace the white collar jobs. Uh, you know, that, that college, that liberal arts college education that we were all moved into uh, in the past is going to be replaced by go into the trades. Uh, it's the place to make money in the future. Uh, and, and um, you know, the AI and the trades will be seen as a tool, uh, not as a displacer of you, because the uh, these fingers, uh, your ability, you know, that your dexterity of working on the vehicle, uh, I think, does not get replaced by a robot. The only thing that they'll be doing is building basements to house those that went to college to get a white-collar job. Just saying. Good work. It's good work. (laughs) I've always said that the four-year bachelor's degree today in liberal arts is actually the high school degree I got a whole bunch of years ago. (laughs) 
Absolutely. They dumbed it down so we'd pay more. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, I got up on my soapbox there at the end. Gentlemen, we could go on for hours on this, but I really think this was so, it had so much substance here. I thank you all so much for being here and to talk about Future Shop. You're always invited back again. This was so much fun. Thanks to Jake Sorensen, shop manager, McNeil's Auto Care, Sandy, Utah, Chris Chesney, VP of Training and Organizational Development at Repairify. Some really neat stuff they're working on. And uh, Derek Kaufman, Managing Partner, Schwartz Advisors and President of C3 Network. They've all been on the shows before. Go to the backlog catalog, go to the search bar, type in any of their names and enjoy their brilliance. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Carm. See you, Carm. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time, 